And we welcome you in to the first Monday in April. And we are just 17 days away from the 2020 NFL Draft. I'm Jason Gibbs alongside Andrew Gribble and Nathan Zagura. This is the best podcast available, episode 14. Rocking and rolling our way to the 2020 NFL Draft, which is coming up in just a few weeks from right now. And guys, it is official per the NFL commissioner. We're all working from home and playing a form of fantasy football when it comes down to the 2020 NFL draft. We'll all be at home making our picks or at least watching them happen from Andrew Barry and company. Gribbs, your thoughts on what we all knew was coming and the biggest maybe secret that we knew wasn't a secret. This is uh, every uh, team's IT department's time to shine. I mean, they've got to set up these guys to, to handle uh, the most, some very important picks from, from in their own houses. And I, I think it's just, it's crazy to digest. I, I do think that the fact that they've been doing this now for a few weeks will help them out. And, and I think that they've probably been thinking that this was a possibility for at least the last couple of weeks. So I imagine a plan is in place. But uh, again, we're in uncharted times, and this is going to be a truly unique experience I mean when these war rooms are huge and you've got a lot of people in those rooms who fill a very important purpose we've we've been inside that war room there's information everywhere uh and now it's just going to be so different you're so reliant on the technology that we're using right now uh and it's just going to be I've never been more excited about a draft just simply from how they're going to broadcast it how these picks are going to be made how long it's going to take because I think the clock could be an issue uh, I'm excited, but I imagine none of the general managers feel the same way I do right now. It's going to be interesting. I mean, now when you go into your fantasy football draft, they can advertise it as a draft just like a real NFL GM because that's what they did uh, in this year's draft. So I think on one level, it's cool. I wonder, is it going to be, will they enter a draft room like you do in fantasy football where all the prospects are listed and you click, you have to add them to your queue. Is that how you're going to set your draft board in the draft room itself? Are you going to have to draft the player that way? Are you texting somebody? Are you calling somebody? How do they make the picks? I mean, it kind of makes sense to have NFL.com hosted and host a draft room and, and everyone you're on the clock, you make your pick. You'll know who's been taking all that. Obviously you'll have that anyway, but I think from the technology standpoint, it's not going to be a big deal. I know there are a lot of people in, in the war room at, at, you know, when it's going on, but there's really, there are the key decision makers. They will not change. They will still be in contact. I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. I really am. I'm fascinated to see if there's a, if there really is a draft room where they have to go in and enter it. How, you know, how does that work? In the, in the past, you'd call the guy who was at the phone and then he'd write it on a card and they'd turn the card in, which seems archaic enough to begin with. So you wonder how it's actually, what the logistics of it are. But look, Roger Goodell has stressed all along it had to be an equal playing field. And I think it's pretty clear, given what's going on in, in various parts of our country, that there were certain teams in certain states that there's no way they were going to be allowed in their facility. So it was 32 in the facility. We can all be in the facility. But if 31 could be in and one couldn't, we're not. And everybody's at home. And that's clearly the case. Everybody's going to be at home. Here's the Everybody. thing, though. How, how equal of a playing field is it going to be when someone's internet is better than someone else's internet? Like that's, that, that's a, that's a real issue that they're going to have to deal with. And I think like uh, we, we always, we, we've scoffed at the idea of landlines being important uh, during these times, but that's, are they going to set up the, 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 the bat phone in, in all these guys' houses? I, I'm more curious on the setup 
that Andrew Barry is going to have at his disposal. I feel like it's going to be something out of like a, a futuristic movie with the amount of equipment they're going to have to set up in his home office. I, I think it's going to be fascinating because I think that's the issue that is going to be tough is how, you, how do you wheel and deal when the time is crunching at you and you've got your computer in front of you and you've got, you're dealing with faces on your computer and texting. I mean, I, I think Andrew Barry has the right disposition for this. I think He's a young tech savvy guy. I, I think that can only help. And I, I'm, I, I just wish, I, I hope building the Browns is behind the scenes and able to capture some of this stuff for us. Cause I, I'm just, I want to be a fly on the wall for, for what's going on here. Can yeah, the logistics are going to be fascinating. Can, can they stick to the 10 minute limit? I mean, with technology being what it is, like Gribble said, if you get in a situation where your Wi-Fi sucks or your internet's not great, Okay. That, is, that 20, is a possibility, Zagura, where some of these guys are right now. It's 2020, okay? These guys are going to have hard-lined internet. They're going to have hard-wired internet all over the place. They've got, yeah, you've got weeks to prepare for this. The same. I, I, well, I'm saying the, Trex would be at your house, and Trex would make sure you had everything that you need to do this. And, and every GM's got the other GM cell phones. They're going to be able, like, you can put in, if you don't have good cell reception in your house, you can put a mini cell tower into your house. Like all of this stuff can be done. There's enough lead time for it. I'm not that part of it. I'm not, I'm not as worried about it. I think all the teams will be good. I think the internet's all going to be good. I think it's going to be fine. I'm just fascinated by how it's going to go because you know, and, and by the way, if this is all done online, if it truly is an online draft, they better make sure the security on that is good, that nobody's hacking in, that nobody's revealing somebody's draft board, that nobody takes over somebody's on the clock, and all of a sudden a guy comes in and, like, selects a kicker in the second round, like a fantasy draft, and everybody's going nuts. I mean, there's the logistics of it. I, I find that part to be fascinating. I feel very good, very good, that they are going to make sure, from a technology standpoint, with a multiple week lead time, that everybody is, is good to go. Everybody's good to go. Should Goodell have to announce the picks from his own living room? Yes, of course. He should be staying at home, too. Set the of tone. Of course he should. I don't know if he's going to. There's this talk. Peter Where's he going to go? Said, I don't know where he's going to be, but a lot of people say he should be at home because that's what everybody says. But will he be at home? That's going to be the question. Where is he going to announce the picks from? He should be at home, and then the broadcast should be like if they can get the – obviously, they've got the time to test it out, but it should be everybody in their own little spots, you know, everybody doing their own little thing. Uh, whether it's an ESPN-NFL Network collaboration or not, just having – you can't have a studio show. I mean, I think that would be – that doesn't make sense given the times, but maybe you will. Maybe you will. I don't know. I am so – I'm more fascinated on how they're going to fill airtime on days two and three. Because there are so many of those pre-draft packages that that probably have not been able to get done because of this. All, all the B-roll and all the footage that they get from pro days and everything like that. Then you think about day three when they have those special announcements for every team. Oh, yeah, that's forget announcements it. And all, I mean, all of that is out. And, and you're, you're going to have a hard time doing those kind of studio debates that go on for 10-plus minutes with the setup. I mean, this is going to be a true feat in TV broadcasting to, to pull this off. And – uh, they haven't have they set themselves a hard schedule on how the, this is going to last because I'm, I'm curious if they're going to change any of the normal times on, on everything that goes on with this yeah I, I think it's something that people that make a lot more money than the three of us are working night and day 24 7 right now trying to piece the, I mean I, I did we 
we had phone calls today about what we're doing with our draft coverage and how the heck we're going to do it. And logistically, how many guys can we put on the air at one time? Who can we get? Are we going to be able to get players after we draft players? Can we get them to at least call in? Like the, the number of logistics and the little things just from a radio standpoint, much less what the nation and the world is watching and what could end up being one of the biggest, most watched sporting events in Ever. the history of sports mind you yeah ever for sure i mean it's going to be the ratings are going to be absolutely bonkers it's one it's the one new sports thing that's going to be out there that we haven't seen before what's going to happen in this draft it is actual new sports content yeah it's going to be it's going to be completely obsessed over i think in our country and so it's i think from that standpoint it is going to be fun and if there are some you know technological snafus here and there that's going to be interesting i mean there are a lot of people who watch golf and when a golfer a pro golfer actually shanks one or hits a ground ball you love oh they're just like us and now it's going to be the nfl gms are, are they're just like us they're at home doing their fantasy at the clock saying, oh man i thought i was thinking what are, oh god what are we doing three two i'm trying to just press the button what the, i don't know i think that part of it's going to be great they need to have cameras on all these gms because that to me is going to be the most fascinating part of all of this. Well, and Nathan, you mentioned, I mean, the, the amount of attention this is going to get is, is through the roof. And I mean, I don't follow many people like you on Twitter, Nathan, that talk about wrestling uh, a lot, <laughs> but this past weekend, Pete, my Twitter timeline was, it was as if like I only followed WWE fans with WrestleMania. I mean, that was a new sports event yep. that was going on and everyone was talking about it because people are, people I, I think want, some I mean this has been a tough month for the world and this has been a, a brutal month just in general with the coronavirus and I think that the this 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 could be an escape for people to to, to watch and and get excited about their football team and and, and the, the the all the draft buildup that people have missed is going to kind of culminate on on this weekend yeah it, it, you're right it's going to be it's going to be a release and yeah Wrestlemania was in the most bizarre environment ever for wrestling i mean wrestling is a very crowd dependent participatory form of entertainment and you didn't have that and yet they put on something that was new and people wanted to see it and kudos to them nothing got leaked ahead of time and and while it wasn't what wrestlemania has ever been before it was still entertaining and you're right people were going nuts over it just it was something new to watch something where you didn't know the outcome and and you could treat it as as such and and yeah and they did a good job with it. All right. You can have four people doing the draft night broadcast. And it sounds like we're headed towards an NFL Network ESPN joint broadcast. That you can have four question. people. Who are your four people that you want to see on the on, – even if they're in four satellite locations, who would they be? Zagur, I'll start with you. All right. I'll go – so you got to go two and two. So yeah. I'll go, or you could go three and one if you want. I'm going to go, I'll go two and two. I'll go Eisen and Daniel Jeremiah. And then I'll go Mel. I'd probably go Todd McShay then because you got a host already in Eisen. You don't need two hosts, two analysts, but Mel's got to be there because it's Mel Kuyper and he's got to be at the draft. And then the next Daniel Jeremiah and Todd McShay are probably the next two, you know, most well-regarded analysts. I, I had your same exact four, but I'm going to throw a curveball in here. I, I need to see Chris Berman in this kind of element. I, bring him out from retirement. 
I, I need to see how he's going to handle the, the wild card. The, yeah. I want to see the, the background at his home, if possible. I want him working from home. I, I, I think that would make for some electric coverage. But I, I need Kuiper and McShay because their chemistry is, is great. I think Eisen's the best host. And, and Jeremiah's, I think, become the most knowledgeable guy on the, on the, on the draft that going right now. Yep. All right, that's what's the latest around the National Football League as it pertains to the 2020 NFL Draft. On to our top five at every position. We continue this week. We've got three positions to go through, gentlemen. We have the wide receiver, the tight end, and the linebacker positions. So our overall top five, what I asked from the two gentlemen is to rank their top five. I ranked my top five, and then we did a point system to determine number one, two, three, four, and five. Starting off at number five, Justin Jefferson from LSU. Uh, a pretty good football player and tied with him for that spot. So I guess you could say it's fourth. That's right. I give out free financial advice, and I don't know how to count. So in a tie for fourth, it was Justin Jefferson and T. Higgins from Clemson. Gribbs, uh, both guys who had really, really good football careers. Jefferson really exploded, though, here in this past season. Yeah, he, he, he was great in the biggest games of the season, and that, that always scores points in my book. I actually had Higgins, though, higher ranked in my personal ballot because I, I think he brings something unique to the table in this group, and that's the, the size. I mean, this is a six-foot-four guy who's getting compared to A.J. Green. I don't think he got as much attention somehow, even though he played at Clemson. I, I think he is just going to be – I like his unique skill set in this group, which is why I had him ranked a little higher. Uh, I'd like to see – I think Jefferson's going to be a great pro. Uh, I do worry maybe he's a little bit of a byproduct of the best offense in college football. So that's the only reason why I had Higgins higher, but they're, they're both really good. Zagura, you didn't have Higgins even in your top five. Instead, you had Denzel Mims from Baylor making a little noise. Coming yeah, you know, I just wanted to, to switch it up a little bit and give somebody else a little love. I figured in the composite situation, we would end up there uh, with, with uh, T. Higgins and C.D. Lamb and Justin Jefferson and the two Alabamas, Judy and Ruggs, which is what it ended up being. But uh, I, again, just another prospect that a lot of people like. He's to Gribbs's point when you talk about the different skill set. He's 6'3, 207, a bigger guy, can make big plays, uh, and somebody that seems to be kind of in that first round conversation. Is he a top five guy? I don't know, but he was just another guy I wanted to talk about and put on the radar uh, going forward for. You know, this discussion and everybody, because it, it's such a deep receiver class. There are people, you know, that it would have uh, Brandon Ayuk, if I said his name right, and if I didn't, I apologize, from Arizona State as a first-round pick. There are so many receivers. There are like 10 of them that people really think could be legit first-rounders in this draft. So I just wanted to bring attention to another one of them. And I, I Denzel Mims uh, is a guy that I like. I like the size, the speed, that whole combination. His, physical, his physicality stands out. All right. I wonder. I wonder if the depth of this receiver class is going to hurt the draft status of these like fourth and fifth wide receivers because people think they can get someone good at a better value later in the draft. I don't know if that 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 could. I wonder if that works against some of these guys that maybe aren't the top one, two, or three in this group. I don't know. Like you think KJ, so the guys that are kind of in that, that group that you're talking about. So Denzel Mims, who I mentioned, LaVisca Chenault Jr. from Colorado, KJ Hamler from Penn State, Jalen Rager from TCU, Michael Pittman Jr. from USC, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State, Chase Claypool from Notre Dame. 
Like those guys, that was what, eight names that I just listed off that aren't in our top five that go in first rounds of various mock drafts. And, and I think that people, I don't know if it's going to hurt them so much, but I wonder if there'll be a gap after it make the first 13 go over days, you know, first and second round. And then maybe you wait because you're like, you know what, I'm going to get a guy who in the fourth or fifth round that would be a second rounder in most drafts. So why don't I just wait and wait and wait and then I'll pounce on somebody. Because there are – so 6.0 is the cutoff. You have to go into well into Zerline's second page to get there. I mean, we're talking 36 guys that he thinks have the potential to start as rookies or by their second season in this draft at wide receiver. That's nuts. Yeah. All right. Top three. At number three, Henry Ruggs from Alabama. Uh, Zagura, I know that you had flip-flop. You're number two and number three. Gribbs, you had Ruggs at number three. Gribbs, what differentiates Jerry Judy from Henry Ruggs? And why is Ruggs just a little bit below? I think that Jerry Judy is more is maybe the more established, traditional, safer pick at that wide receiver position that's going to fill him up every week. Ruggs is your big play crazy athletic skill set speed punt returner insane upside but also the reason why I had him number three is when you get when you get the comps with some of these guys who have run these fast 40s not a lot of production at that wide receiver position from these super speedy fast guys I have seen Henry Ruggs produce at a very high level I think he's going to be a very good pro but if I'm taking one guy to be a, a guy that fills it up seven catches a week 100 yards I've seen Jerry Judy do that and Jerry Judy is also, no matter what he ran at the 40, uh, I'm going to go with the whole game speed. When I watch him, he gets the ball, and all of a sudden he's the fastest guy in the field. He needs someone chasing him, and I think that's the, the, the guy that I just watched, and I know. I was like, this guy's – I've been thinking for two years he's going to be the best wide receiver uh, in whatever draft class he's going to be in. Jerry Judy's ability to run routes and separate and do what he's, he's kind of like Antonio Brown without Antonio Brown issues, at least that we know of at this point. No, and there don't seem to be any out on the horizon. That's that type of receiver always can win. That type of receiver can always be productive in any scheme, in any system. Ruggs is an incredible athlete, explosive. I think if you're a Henry Ruggs fan, you're, when you draft him, what you're saying is, I think we're going to get maybe even a more overall physically imposing athletic Deshaun Jackson. Because that's Deshaun Jackson for his heyday was an absolute game changer in the NFL. And Ruggs can be that. I mean, just seeing those clips of him on the basketball court posterizing everybody it was absurd. So, you know, he's an insane athlete, incredibly fast. Um, speed doesn't always translate. You've got to be able to run routes. You've got to be able to get open. And he's shown the ability to do that. Judy just is everything that a successful NFL wide receiver needs to be, period. And that's why. He's number one. Ruggs, I just find him to be fascinating because he's such an athlete. CeeDee Lamb, these guys are all CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, Ruggs, Judy. All of these guys could be the number one receiver in a lot of drafts. They just all happen to be in the same draft this year, which is bonkers. Yeah, the wide receiver class is like the left tackle class. I mean, in other years where this was weaker, if it were weaker, any one of these five guys could have been a number one receiver in any other class. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you on that. What separates not, – not what separates Gribbs, but where did C.D. Lamb come out of? I mean, he, he's literally – no, I mean, he came out of nowhere. Stop it, Zagura. Get it together. He came out of nowhere. I mean, did anybody see him coming at the start of the 2019 season? He was a good wide receiver. Was he a great that, wide receiver at that point? The year before that, he was all – he was – as a sophomore, he had 1,158 yards and 11 touchdowns. I mean, that's not shabby. 
But he's played with great quarterbacks. He's played with Baker. He's played with Kyler Murray and then Jalen Hurts. And he's been in that super productive offense. Um, I loved his, his comp. Zerline, did you see Zerline's comp for him? Ocho Cinco. That's a fun one. He's a good player. Do you get all the shenanigans on the side with it as well? No, it doesn't seem like it. His name, his real name is Sedarian, which I also think is a huge positive. All right. So if there's a negative to CD Lamb's game, Gribbs, what is it? I don't know if I have a negative to his game. I'm I'm just I'm more impressed with a guy like Judy that can fill it up at Alabama with so many other talented guys around him in an offense that doesn't necessarily get guys 500 feet open uh, like in the way that Oklahoma's can. And that's just, I mean, I think they're both really, really good. I'm just biased and I've watched a lot more Jerry Judy and I, I've just been convinced since that guy was a freshman that he was going to be something special. According to the, to the book on CD Lamb, some of the issues are the scheme is so good uh, that he didn't face a lot of what you would call NFL style press man when he did. He struggled a little bit with some of his releases and so he's going to need to refine his releases, a little bit of his route running techniques and those are things that you don't have to say about Jerry Judy, which is why Jerry Judy is number one. But CD Lamb might have a higher ceiling per se, if he's able to put together all of his gifts and, and become the technician that Jerry Judy is. But you just don't find guys like Jerry Judy coming out of college that ready where you know whatever scheme you run, he, scheme, he can fit into any scheme because he knows how to get open. And when you can create separation as a receiver, that's the number one trait you're looking for. Can these guys get open? Now they got to be able to catch it when they do, but if they can get open, they're going to be effective. Yeah, and Zagura, I think your point is well taken that any one of these guys could be the first receiver off the board. I really think that CeeDee Lamb could be the first receiver off the board of the Raiders. I I definitely think that, you know, Davis and company there, they like the flash, and there's a lot of flash there with CeeDee Lamb. So, number one, it was Jerry Judy. Number two, CeeDee Lamb. Three, Henry Ruggs, and a tie for fourth with T. Higgins and Justin Jefferson. Gribbs, if you had to rank the wide receiver, where on the list of needs does the wide receiver position fit for the Cleveland Browns? I would put it somewhere in the middle. I I would put everything on the defensive side of the ball ahead wide receiver at this moment, even even maybe defensive tackle, even though you've already added Andrew Billings and have a couple good guys there. I just think there are other there there are other areas that you need to hit. I would I would put left tackle ahead of it, obviously, uh, and I'd maybe even put. Uh, I, I maybe even put tight end ahead of it in, in this draft class in, in particular because you probably need a little bit more depth there. But I, I do think it's somewhere where you might just have to take a player, though, in the third or fourth round because someone just might stand out as being so much by far the best player on the board that you're going to have to go grab them just because there's so many good players in this class. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, it's not a huge need. I mean, this is a two-wide receiver offense. You've got Odell and you've got Jarvis. Uh, the question is, you know, can Taewon Taylor, former third-round pick, can he step up in this offensive system, which should play very well to his speed. Think of what Taylor Gabriel was able to do in the Kyle Shanahan system in years past. So, you know, it, it's you want to see somebody because of the uncertainty around, surrounding the injuries of Jarvis and Odell for the offseason if there is one so that Baker has somebody else out there. And I think you want to draft somebody, if you saw somebody in the third or fourth round that you felt could become a, a real starter, like you're getting a second-round talent there, and then you bring them in because you still you have to have succession planning at all of your positions, and you need to think about it, wide receiver, given how much money is being spent there, and, and knowing that you're going to have to spend a lot of money on quarterback and Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward, Baker obviously being that quarterback in the next few years, that you might want to have a receiver ascending on a rookie contract that's coming into a starting job 
two years from now. And so that's something you have to think about, I think, going in. But in an immediate need, I give me a third tight end right now over a receiver. Like if I have to go with Taewon Taylor and Damian Ratley and Kaderil Hodge uh, and DJ Montgomery, fine, I'll, I'll take my chances with that. But right now, behind our top two tight ends, Austin Hooper and David Joku, you have Stephen Carlson, who we all like, an undrafted free agent uh, out of Princeton who showed flash last year, and then Farrell Brown, who hasn't really been able to stay healthy. And this is an offense where you need two tight ends at all times. So I think getting a young third tight end who's maybe even a little bit more inclined as a blocker would not be a bad idea at all in this draft. All right, that's a look at the wide receivers and our top five at that position. We move on to tight ends and uh, a position that both of you, I think, would agree Uh, The need a little bit more important at tight end for the Browns than a wide receiver. And I'll start off at number five. You guys both going with a tight end out of Purdue in Bryson Hopkins. Gribbs, what made you go Hopkins out of Purdue? A guy that not many people talked about as a top five. Yeah, I just think he's a guy that was a solid uh, tight end. And honestly, I'll be be honest, this isn't a great tight end class after about the first four or five guys. And I'm – I'm picking this guy purely on on upside and, and hope that he can be a, a solid tight end in the NFL. I, so I, I, I like what he brings in that regard. Would I take him in the first three rounds? Probably not. But uh, I think that there's just a lot of room to grow with, with what he's been able to do. And he, he's, he put up big numbers in the Big Ten, was a Big Ten tight end at the end of the year. So uh, just a solid tight end that I'd be okay with getting early on day three. And his dad was the uh, Pro Bowl offensive lineman for the Tennessee Titans, Brad Hopkins, who I actually, believe it or not, met at the Combine this year. So that's why uh, I certainly – you did as well. You were there, Gibbe. We were with Brad Hopkins. So, yeah, you want to see this kid succeed. You would imagine that if his dad was a a Pro Bowl offensive lineman, that even though maybe in college he was more of a slot tight end, that he would have it in his genes to become a good blocker uh, down the road and and certainly would have some kind of proclivity to being a good blocker. So – Yeah, this is somebody that could be a target for the Browns maybe later on in the draft. All right. The next two, they're the Bryant boys. Harrison Bryant from Florida Atlantic. Hunter Bryant from the University of Washington. You guys both had them flip-flop there, three and four, three and four. Uh, Not a whole lot of difference, I would say, between either two guys. But is there anything that stood out when you guys were putting this stuff together? Gribbs, I'll start with you. Well, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll defer to Lance Zerline, who knows way more about these guys than I do. And he threw out the big George Kittle comparison to Harrison Bryant. So uh, that's enough to sell me. And, and honestly, I, the, the reason I had Hunter Bryant ahead of Hopkins is that I, I, want, I want these tight ends to be good at both blocking and catching. But if I'm getting the comparison that Hunter Bryant is to Jordan Reed, I'll take the upside on that, knowing that maybe he's not going to block all that great, but he can be an elite pass catcher out of that position, whereas I thought Hopkins was maybe a little bit of uh, so-so at both. Right? I like the upside of Hunter Bryant as a pass catcher there. But you, you compare a guy to George Kittle to me, uh, that'll catch my eye and get me, get me to put him at number three on this kind of list. Yeah, you're talking about Hunter Bryant. It was a guy who had 16.4 yards per catch in college. Uh, so, he, And he's considered basically just a pure receiver, to Gribbs' point. That's what he's good at, a big slot receiver. Uh, but when you get that Kittle comparison and just the tenaciousness and willingness as a blocker, Harrison Bryant would be a guy that if the Browns need another tight end would be a great fit here because – you need that type of a player who can be nasty as a blocker but also go out and catch the football. And that's something that he does very, very well, winning the John Mackey Award as the nation's top tight end last year. All right. When you talk about tight ends that are kind of making that jump 
and have really stood out here since the season ended and really maybe should have stood out a little bit before that, Adam Troutman out of uh, Dayton right Dayton. down the road. Really played some good football down the stretch. Had a very good college career and, and has made the most of his opportunities since the season ended and has shown enough that a lot of people think that he is going to be one of the top tight ends off the board. The question is, Gribbs, you mentioned it, with this tight end class being not so deep, is he a day two guy or is he falling to day three? I, I think he'll be a day two guy. And I, he really interests me with the Browns. I mean, I wouldn't probably use a second round pick on him, but third round, I, I'm very intrigued. Uh, and it's mostly, you know, I was obviously interested in when I saw they went to Dayton because you don't see many football players from Dayton. They haven't had a player drafted since the 70s. But when you hear him talk, the guy loves blocking. And I think that's what this team needs more of from the tight end position. I think he's obviously a talented pass catcher, dominated inferior inferior competition at, at Dayton, playing in one double A. But uh, he, he's, to me, is is there, there's just a lot to work with, a lot of upside, and would be a great addition uh, as a third-round pick with one of those two selections. The only trepidation I have is the last time there was a big uh, tight end from a small school was Adam Shaheen with the yep. Bears and hasn't done much uh, in the NFL so far. No, that's true. This guy, look, he would come in right there and, and immediately fill a need for the Browns as having that, a third tight end who can be more of a blocker. He's got the big size, he's a big man, strong, needs to refine his technique, but because he wasn't playing against the competition that would require such great technique, he was able to dominate. But uh, again, I think a very intriguing guy uh, for the Browns going forward. All right. And at number one, it was a unanimous decision. Commit the tight end from Notre Dame, uh, a pretty impressive guy, a guy that could be a first-round pick, but I, I don't know if any of these, say, first-round day one have to have, unlike last year when you had two tight ends from the University of Iowa going on day no, I'd agree with that. But a great size, 6'6", 260, can be an inline blocker. That obviously got Asa was fired up about it. She wanted to, to break that down his tape. Killer chihuahua. Yeah, that's right, a little chihuahua Jack Russell coming out there. Um, big guy. Good blocker, good route runner, solid overall prospect, has size that you just can't teach. It's interesting, though, his comparisons, Tyler Higby, who ended up having a very nice season at the end of the year with the Rams, and I think came on at the end of the year, didn't he have 100 yards, and he was on my fantasy team. And I know that I know this guy was productive at the end of that season last year for the Rams. But I'll give me the Kittle comparison all day long, but I think there are a couple good ones. I just don't think for the Browns, when you sign Austin Hooper, you've got David Njoku, who I know that Andrew Barry still very much believes in, that you would be looking where you'd have to pick these guys, which would be pick 41. I think if you're talking about one of the Bryants or if you're talking about Cole here, you're going to have to go at 41, and I don't see the Browns doing that. Yeah, we would be talking a lot more about Komet had you not signed Austin Hooper in, in yep. free agency. And I remember there was a lot of road trips we made this year where you get to the hotel around like 4 or 4.30 – that's right in the in the Notre Dame window of, of viewing. You, you put them on, and I've got a couple friends that are big Notre Dame fans, and this is when the Browns were having some issues at the tight end position, to say the least. And I'd watch these games, and I'd be like, get me this guy on, the, on, on this team right now. I mean, th that's a player that could help this team. But you got the guy that, uh, in Austin Hooper. You got Njoku back healthy. Probably – Komet's probably not a guy you're talking about with the Browns. It, it's all, I almost put him in the same category as, like, a Chase Young. It's like I can, I can talk about Chase Young. I, I don't think I'll be seeing him in brown and orange uh, this, this coming year. Yeah, good call. That's a look at the tight ends. Let's move on to the linebacker spot. Now, we combined them. 
inside, outside, give me your top five linebackers. What we ended up with was seven, not five, not six, seven, because we had three that were tied for that fifth coveted spot. They included uh, LeCabion. All right, Gribbs, you got it? From LSU. Oh, Kalevon. Kalevon. L and the K. Clavon chasing, but he's more of a, he's an edge rusher. He's more of like, I think he's being viewed in the NFL as a defensive end rather than a, than a linebacker for our purposes. He would be considered right now behind Chase Young, the second pass rusher in this draft, right, Gribbs? Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I'd say that's about right. All right. So we'll take him out. So then we're down to six. Good news. We've almost complied with the rules. Malik Harrison from Ohio State. Mm -hmm. I put him in there. I had him as my number five guy. And I, I, I just, I, I'm more viewing this through the prism of what the Browns might need. And I, I think that the Browns need a middle linebacker. And I think he's, he's your big thumper in, in the middle that can help you out. Uh, and I, I think he, he projects pretty well. And again, probably not, not, not maybe a second round pick, but someone you might be feel good about grabbing in the third round. And then Zagura, you had a guy that I had going to us in the, in mock draft 1.0 in the second round, Akeem Davis Gaither out of Appalachian State. Yeah, Top not the, not the biggest guy, but he can. He's got good cover skills. Six one two twenty four. He can run uh, and a good athlete. He's a playmaker. He has a, a knack for getting off blocks and making plays. Um, so I, I'd had him down there. I think if you're talking about a two down thumper linebacker, there's nobody better. Maybe in this draft than Lee Harrison. And I think for the Browns, given you know the versatility of Mac Wilson, more of a cover, Taki a little bit lighter in terms of, you know, can he hit? Of course, can he like he shot out of a cannon, but maybe more of a Sam in this scheme. That would give you your your base package thumper. And then if you need when you go into your sub packages, you can come in with more of your athletic guys. Davis Gaither would be a sub package, more athletic guy for you at linebacker as opposed to that thumper. Now the question is, do they think Mac Wilson, who played Mike at Alabama? In this defense, could he be the Mike? And then what you're looking for to pair with him would be a Will linebacker who can be a cover guy. Davis Gaither potentially could be that kind of a player. All right. At number four, we had Zach Bond from Wisconsin, a guy that I think all three of us like, and especially if he were around at pick 41 on that day too. The question is, will he actually be there? Some mocks say he will. Others say he's a first-round pick. Grinch? It's just monster production. I mean, that's I just saw the the numbers alone just jump out, and I think that he can just really he could help out any team. But I I think he would particularly help out this team at at, a, at an area where that maybe needs some of the most dressing when you're when you're going into this draft. Uh, I've liked the pedigree. I've liked what you got out of uh, these Wisconsin players that come in and and produce in the NFL. He'd be he'd be a good addition at 41. I think you'd you'd run to the uh, return button on your computer had he. Uh, if he's available at number 41. So what's interesting to me about him and, and is that when I watched him, he's a pass rusher. I mean, that's what he did. He played basically defensive end uh, for Wisconsin and was a pass rusher. And so what would he be in terms of a linebacker? Is he a sub package pass rusher? Is he a Sam that if we played more of a traditional four, three look on defense where he would be kind of the overhang linebacker that's near the line of scrimmage that's rushing the quarterback. So I wonder how he fits necessarily with us or, or how he's viewed. But then again, Joe Schobert was a, a pass rusher 
at Wisconsin as well and ended up becoming a Pro Bowl Mike linebacker with the Browns. So he's fluid in coverage. He can drop, but he played much closer to the line of scrimmage than maybe the traditional off-ball linebacker that we probably feel the Browns would be more inclined to target at this point. But if you get a guy who could do both, then, you know, you say to yourself, okay, well, we've got Vernon, Adrian Claiborne. Now we've got Baum. We've got all these pass rushing opportunities. That's something to, to look at. But do you, do you think he fits necessarily with what we're looking for in that? Or would you be drafting him as a defensive end? Would you, or would you be, because he's a little undersized for that from traditional NFL standards. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put him at defensive end for, for, for this defense. I, I, I would, I'm going on pedigree and knowing a guy that can produce. And I, I think you've got to view him as a linebacker if he gets to that 41 spot. Yep. All right. So, Gribbs, taking a look at our number three and our number two guys, number three was Patrick Queen out of LSU. Number two, Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma. Big difference between those two because, I mean, really, a lot of people, a lot of mock drafts have them going the second linebacker off the board, the third linebacker. Is it really a big difference, Cribs? No, for me, it was splitting hairs. And I, I think they kind of fall into the same kind of grouping uh, as one another. And I, I think for, for the Browns, I don't know if either of them are going to get to the Browns at 41. Uh, I'd be happy to have them both, but they're – they're both just the solid linebackers who I think are going to be immediate starters in the NFL. And all their comps are the guys who played in the NFL for a long time, produced. Uh, these guys played at big schools, produced. Uh, uh, they're, to me, they're some of the two, uh, two of the safest picks in wherever their, their range is in the draft. You're talking late first round, early second round. Murray, 6'2", 240, runs a 4540. The comp that Lance Zierlein gives for him is Quan Alexander, who's been a stud linebacker in the NFL. Uh, he gives Thomas Davis for Patrick Queen. A little bit smaller. I think he's six foot, about 229. Both would fit. I think Murray would play that, that Michael. He can do anything for you. Queen can do anything for you, too. Maybe more of a will uh, in the NFL. But both these guys, absolute studs. And if either one was there at 41, you would have to think about it. Now, I still have – I and my belief is we need a veteran in that room, maybe not necessarily another rookie in that linebacking room, but those these guys are both talented. They're just easy athletes, explosive athletes, as Grib said, productive at big schools in big games. They stood out. When you watched either of those two teams, you knew exactly who they were. They looked like playmakers. They looked like they were the, running the defenses. That's what you want out of these guys. They're both awesome, awesome. And really, at the end of the day, we just don't want either one of them going to an AFC North team. You know, the one team that I would worry about would be the Bengals, right? It's not, they're not, it's not going to be the Steelers. Uh, I guess potentially it could be the Ravens since that, that Mike linebacker spot's not solidified. But the, the Steelers went up and got Devin Bush last year. Um, so it wouldn't be them. But we know that the Bengals were hot on the, on the heels of Joe Schobert. So they could be a team that would be looking to get a stud on the interior of that linebacking court. All right, and then at number one, I mean, it's unanimous, and I don't think we need to spend. He's gonna a be number one at safety too. I was gonna say, depending on what we want to put him at, Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson, he's just that good. So wherever you want to put him, he would be the number one probably guy at that position. Yeah, dominant, best playmaker on defense in this draft. I, if he's there at ten, it makes me. I would have to rethink absolutely everything if I was the Browns. Uh, I don't think that that will be a problem, though. I don't see any way this guy uh, would be on the board at ten. He's just an absolute stud, best playmaker. Everybody in the NFL could use an Isaiah Simmons on their defense. Truth. All right, that's uh, the top five at the positions of linebacker, wide receiver, and tight end. Before I get you guys out of here for the evening for the day 
Uh, the All-Decade team announced on Monday. Compliments of the National Football League. Can I get a snub? Biggest snub from either one of you guys, but the snub can't be Drew Brees. Who's your biggest snub? Gribbs, we'll start with you. I, don't start with me. Go to, go to Nathan. I, I think he has more opinions on this one. Zagir. I would say, I, look, I think DeAndre Hopkins is a massive snub here. I mean, the fact that Darren Sproles made it as a flex player on offense, which in my mind means he was the next best wide receiver or running back, I don't understand that at all. You've got a guy that's produced more than 1,000 yards from scrimmage once in the decade, never was a first-team All-Pro. Hopkins certainly has been. He's been productive. I think you could even say Le'Veon Bell deserves to be on this team over him. And Le'Veon Bell's time, he averaged 130 yards from scrimmage, was the most dominant player uh, in the game at running back, two-time first-team All-Pro. Jamal Charles has a better case than him. I think there are plenty of guys that could be say that they were snubbed, but to me, it, it's, it's almost a reverse. It, Darren Sproles being on this team as an offensive player in this decade, like you could have a draft and we could pick all the stud offensive guys who played in the, and you'd have to get into the probably like 49th round before Darren Sproles' name is even being mentioned. I mean, we're talking about all decade. I, that, it just flabbergasts. No disrespect, great weapon, great versatile piece on your team, but he made the all decade team twice as a flex guy and as a returner. Overkill, unnecessary. I did my my immediate reaction when I saw the team was when I saw Bree when I saw Brady and Rogers I was like hmm. I was like with with Rogers I was like he's he's been great and we talk about he's the most talented but I I would put I would put in terms of production for this decade I would put Drew Brees over Aaron Rodgers I just think he he had the better decade than Aaron than Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers is a far more talented quarterback but I think Drew Brees was the better quarterback this decade the other snub I will throw in there it is a coach. I'm going with Andy Reid. I, I think I'm, I'm biased because of the recency of, of them winning the Super Bowl, but he is so good wherever he's been. I, I just, I, I'm picking Andy Reid over Pete Carroll. I, I just, I think that's, if I'm going head to head, they're both great. I'm taking Andy Reid. I love it. Just because right. I don't like Pete Carroll. Nice. And by the way, because we were talking about this earlier day uh, on Browns Daily about these all decade teams. What a cop out to not have a first team and a second team. And I wanted to see if that was a thing that the NBA did that too. No, the NBA has a first team, all decade team for the 2010s. It's Steph Curry, James Harden, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard. Then they have a second team, Chris Paul, Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Blake Griffin, Carmelo Anthony. Boom, easy. How can these guys not be differentiated? You're either the best player of the decade at your position. And we went through and we tried to put it together, but you can't have multiple, you can't have four tackles. You can have two quarterbacks on the all-decade team. There's a first team and a second team. They can both be all-decade performers, but there can only be one. There's only one ball. You're bringing me back to my days covering SEC basketball, where the first team all-SEC basketball would have nine players on it. What? Five. That's illegal. You need, you get, you need five. Like, they would put nine. And that, that, I mean, that, that's, it's, there's, there's no order in these things. Ridiculous. No question. But we do want to shout out Joe Thomas, unanimous selection. Also former, former Cleveland Brown, Alex Mack, uh, who had some very, very good years here with the Cleveland Browns uh, in some not so great years with this football team on the football field. Uh, congratulations to both of those guys on all decade. Uh, if I could, one word to describe Rob Gronkowski and now being a champion in the WWE. Zagura, we'll start with you. Business. If it's only one word, it's good for business. Gronk's a popular guy. Gribbs? 
I'll go with three words. It's news to me. Because even though I was following everyone on social media, uh, I didn't know what happened today. He won the 24-7 championship, which is like a comedy prop championship where it can be defended at all times. So if you're in a grocery store and somebody knocks you down and pins you, they get to be the 24-7 champion. It's always constantly being defended. It was a good moment for Gronk. He was a little he's gotta he's gotta find his his wrestling persona. He's gotta be able to like tone it down in a productive way he needs the crowd right i mean yeah and he needs a you need yeah you need people to especially if you're most of your work is based with the microphone you're it's a give and take you're trying to get reactions from people when you're doing that to an empty arena it's a little bit more difficult to feel what exactly the reactions to your words are do you think he has a long-term future sure yeah i called this how long ago have i been talking about this give i said he was still playing probably two years and they said is gronk gonna be playing for the patriots next year or what i said he's gonna be in the wwe at wrestlemania sure enough he was. He was the host of WrestleMania. Simone, send me some more dinner that I have to pay for. Seafood Towers, baby. That's right. Seafood Towers. All right, that's going to wrap up episode 14 of the best podcast available. Thanks to Gribs. Thank you to Nathan Zagura as mm. well. You can log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today to the best podcast available. Also, check out all of our episodes at our YouTube page at youtube.com slash browns you can check that out to all our latest interviews with some of our new free agents zagura's uh working from home segments with players doing a nice job with that also cleveland browns daily archives as well everything you need to know as you get ready for the 2020 nfl draft for jeff mcdaniel appreciate all of his hard work and paul taylor thanks to both of them i'm jason gibbs thanks for watching thanks for listening to the best podcast available